In March, a picture that appeared to be 86-year-old Pope Francis went viral. The Pope was wrapped up in an attention-grabbing white puffer coat, and many were misled by the AI-generated image. Maybe it was such a hit because one could think that the Catholic Church and modern technology are incompatible. Some might assume that the Catholic Church doesn't embrace the evolving technological landscape. But today, we will meet someone to convince us otherwise. You are listening to The World Stage, a global politics podcast from the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs. My name is Nils Naglushia. I'm a senior research fellow and head of NUPIS Research Center on New Technology. In today's episode, we are honored to have Dr. Paolo Benanti. He is a professor, a Franciscan monk, and studies the ethics of technology. He is a member of the UN Secretary General's Artificial Intelligence Board, and he serves as an AI advisor to none other than Pope Francis. Welcome, Paolo. Thank you, and I'm so happy to be here. First of all, Paolo, I think many people are wondering about this. Uh, do you know what the Pope felt about the AI-generated image of him? Oh Well, uh, I'm sure he make a big laugh on that. <laughs> you know, it's so dissonant, the images of himself with this fancy puff and how it's usually working and doing around the world. But he was impressed by the quality of the images produced by a machine. Yeah. And, and what what's the story behind the image? Can you tell a little bit about that? Well, actually, the images become viral on the Internet, and a lot of people start to comment, uh, uh, someone, how oh, look the Pope, how he looks young, oh, look how this fashion the Pope. But the real story behind is that these are uh, generated image by a powerful uh, AI system that can simply produce an image once you give a description of the image by in a language. And the thing is that the producer of that images is not a professional. Uh, it's someone that usually have another job. Uh, it actually it's look like he's working a warehouse, uh, moving stuff. And so the really things impressive is that every one of us with this so powerful system can make images that become viral that all the world see, and giving a huge impact on public opinion. Uh, so even the, the the Pope needs an AI advisor. Yeah, uh, you know, the, 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 the newspaper are used to call me advisor. Actually, the, the Holy See works in a different way uh, because the Holy See has a lot of uh, different uh, field to cover. Sometimes they call some professor or other uh, expert to cooperate with them. The technical uh, word to describe this kind of cooperation is consultori in Latin, that means someone that is, you know, asked to give some kind of advice on some topic. Advisor looks too much like if you whisper in the ear of the wolf. It's not that the system, there is all the system behind, and so there are so much different topic. But what is interesting is that also in the perspective of the Holy See, this new form of technology is so powerful, is so changing for society, has so much power to shift things inside the society, that the effect has to be evaluated, has to be mitigated, has to be stressed to be in favor of everyone and not just for someone. And this is not the first time that the Pope and the Holy See has been interested in how technology affects society, right? So there's a long story for that. 
Yeah, actually, it came from the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution is probably the things that most changed our behavior and our way in which we live. Uh, probably a, a man in Europe in the early 18th century was much more near to an ancient Roman than how much a man in the 40th of the 18th century was to, uh, to, to the Roman. So we radically changed the way in which we live. Uh, we radically changed the face of our city. We have radically changed the social class in, inside society. Well, uh, artificial intelligence is not another revolution but it's an evolution of that kind of transformation that is driven by uh, a, a, an element that is automation. The first automation happened with steam or electrical power, and simple was a surrogation of muscles. With AI, we are able to have a form of automation that actually is much more a form of automation that makes the machine able to acquire an ends by the human beings and find the means to execute the ends. Yeah, and, and I think really that uh, looking at history is very important in order to understand how technology such as AI and, and large language models affects society. And, and you have also made use of um, uh, looking at how uh, Robert Moses developed uh, New York and, and and new roads for cars uh, in order to, to uh, illustrate how technology affects society and, that, and also illustrate that technology is not, not uh, only it's not good or bad, but it can represent shifts of power. Could you elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because we, we are now, uh, we have agreed that actually technology has an effect on social sphere. Like you can imagine car or you can imagine everything. But at the late 80s of the last century, 19th century, we start to ask to ourselves, those artifacts of politics, so is it technology neutral and everything depends on the way in which we use it? Or there is a way in which an every artifact embed a form of politics? Uh, the first philosopher that actually answered to that was London Wiener. And in a famous paper, 1982, those artifacts have politics. And one of the main examples of these things happened to what happened to New York. One of the most politically influenced uh, men in New York was Robert Moses. And Robert Moses was so influenced that uh, there is a biography of Moses uh, written by Robert Caro that is more than 1,000 page book that is one of the best 100 non-fictional book in US market. So we are talking about someone that make the history and of a book that make the history on him. Well, uh, the example that I would like to use to, sh to show how technology uh, as a inside some kind of politics uh, happened in New York. Because if you go to New York, there is a, a huge parkway that is used to connect New York to Long Island, and especially to a special beach, John's Beach in Long Island, that is one of the most beautiful beach around. Well, uh, Robert Moses was the man that simple shift the construction of the parkway that achieved the construction of the parkway to John's Beach. Well, Moses has a clear view of society and a clear political view in itself. His view probably today is absolutely unacceptable, but at that time was really common. And he thinks that the best part of society has to be kept for the best uh, part of the city. So only the best part of society should go 
to that pitch. In his mentality, it was the white middle class. So what he did, if you look inside the biography of Robert Moses, you can discover that he simply make a few actions to keep that beach that beach just for white middle class. First of all, he didn't build any public transportation system. And that bridge that are on the parkway are two feet taller than the standard. So no buses can commute on the beach. That means that this is a practical way to shift the power and so only the people that can achieve to have a car can join the, the, the Jones Beach. And so we can conclude that every technological artifact is a displacement of power, is a form of order. And because now it's not anymore matter of mortar and bricks, when we look at the AI, we should ask to ourselves which kind of form of power and shifting of order AI will produce inside society. And this perspective, that is the perspective of ethical technology, has a main purpose. We are not looking, first of all, to the elements or to the norms for technology. We are looking to make aware uh, all the stakeholders that every innovation process will produce a political change in the society. And we have to ask to ourselves, would we like to go in this direction or in the other direction? That's ethics. That's ethics. And you also describe uh, algorithms uh, as uh, guardrails for cars and for roads. So, so that is uh, how to keep us on the road that we need in the ethics. Yeah, actually, ethics is this huge book written by human beings from the start of our history because we are touched by freedom. So we ask to ourselves how I can I have to use my freedom. And ethics is actually our reasoning about our freedom, responsibility and awareness. Well, it's now time to write a new chapter in these books. And the chapter that we are writing is not only to make, be written by us, but has to be computed by the machine. So it's something that the human being produces and the machine has to execute. This is the root of algorithms. You know, algor for algorithms of the machine, ethics is the human side of that. What does it mean? It means to build a sort of uh, ethical guardrail. So this new kind of machine cannot go outside the road that we want. It's not just something that is used to, 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 to cut the freedom. Because the guardrail in the street allows you to go where you want to go. But avoid that you kill other people or that you make some crash with other car. Absolutely. And um, uh, just to put this um, in perspective, so the, the technological changes we are experiencing in, the, experiencing in the world right now, could you compare it with the, with the earlier historical technological changes? Well, uh, you know, as I said before, I, I don't like to talk too much about revolution because revolution, it's a little bit ideological. We would like to change everything. It's much more an evolution. It's an evolution of the process of automation. It's an evolution of this idea of surrogating human being in, in, in the field of making action, having an agency. And this is not less problematic eh? because uh, if we give some sort of agency to the, to the machines, uh, we could expect that the machine one day can take action that we don't like it. And so how should the machine be engineered and regulated to avoid situations like that. But you started off um, 
in this episode uh, describing and talking a little bit about uh, the Pope, uh, Pope Francis in, in a perfect cult. Can you use the, uh, that image and that incident in order to just to, to describe a little bit what, what we're facing in, in, a, in a more uh, serious uh, perspective? Uh, what do you think the, the image uh, says about the, uh, the technological evolution and how, how is it, how, how can it impact both humans and societies and, and, and states and world uh, politics? Well, uh, artificial intelligence should be artificial intelligences because it's really plural world. So it's a family of algorithms, it's a family of different application. And of course, we can use, for example, imaging recognition to recognize the coffee bean in a production system. So if a coffee bean has mold, we can exclude it and have a better coffee. I don't think that we was sitting here talking about that kind of machine. But the same system, that is an image and recognition software, could be used to discriminate some migrants at the frontiers or could be to discriminate some refugees. So the real problem is here that we have a family of broader tools that are really contextual, that they depends on the kind of application that we are using it. And this is one of the face of the problem. Now, the other face of the problem is that these kind of tools are really fast and they are growing so much. The last kind of these tools is connected uh, to um, the large language model or better, the large multimodal model. Uh, probably the most famous one is ChatGPT because everyone talked about him uh, when, when it came out one year ago. Well, a large language model is simple, uh, a foundational model that take uh, all the text that they can achieve and start to make sort of analysis of the text, making uh, able, it able to predict the next word. But it's not just the next word in a discussion. It's also a paragraph, it's also a text. It's uh, the ability to produce uh, something that usually was produced by uh, human beings as a form of communication. And now the problem is that, you know, if you produce text, text is the core element of something that we call culture. And culture is the reason of our cultural evolution. You can imagine an emperor like Egyptian one or Roman one as shaped by the text that they produce, jeroglyph or, or Latin text. So if we we'll allow the, the machine to produce the core element of our culture, are we allowing the machine to hack our culture, what we will be tomorrow is what we would like to be or it will be what the machine would like that we will be. So this is a really paradoxical question, but it's just to, to tell you how powerful are the elements that we are uh, using now. The last uh, Argentinian election was the first election in history in which we use uh, LLM and generative AI to make campaign. That means that we start to convince people that one future is better than other ones, not through the discussion of politics, but through these emotional text and images produced by a machine. And that sounds me like a possible manipulation tools that could be really dangerous in a democratic space. But what does this um, say about the power of the uh, uh, the owner of the AI systems uh, and, and uh, versus the deployers of the of the technology? Yeah, well, the, this world now is uh, run by different companies, but the really huge big player 
are nine companies that are valued more than one trillion. That is a huge amount of money. So we, we could face an uh, oligopoly, a, a short number of players that can control of the market. It happened before with oil, you know, in which few companies, the seven sister, can control all the world market. Now can happen not because they have the power to turn on or turn off our engine, but because they have the power to shape our belief, our culture, our fear, our hope. And this is absolutely uh, important to be uh, fixed in a democratic way. No one should be above the law, no one should be above the states. They, we, we know how much cost it was to establish our democratic system. If we look at the two World War War, that was so bloody. We pay a lot for that. We have not to step back on that. And we have to fix uh, this in a way in which the benefits from this kind of system can reach everyone. And we have to mitigate the, the, the bad side of it. And some groups of uh, people, uh, they seem to think that AI is, uh, is God in a way. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, uh, we have, if we look at the history of religions, we have different seasons. There was a, a, a season in religion in which we, have go, we are used to go to the oracles. And one of the first elements in the history of philosophy is a fragment. Uh, uh, in that fragment, uh, we have a sentence against the oracles. Uh, the god that is in Delphi, uh, said Heraclitus, is not talking, is not shouting, is giving a mean. Well, is it not the same use that we do with Google when we make a search? is not giving an answer, is giving a mean to different data. Do we ask to ourselves if we have an oracular relationship to, to some kind of data and artificial intelligence? Are we doing like the ancient people that sacrifice something to the godness to obtain something? Are we sacrifice our privacy to get some answer from, for example, Tinder to who is the destiny of our life? So if once we have the, you know, the, the, the temple with the different of God, now we have the surface of our phone and we have different divinity that are the different app. We have Tinder for love, we have something apps, other apps like Amazon for market. Like once we have uh, Cupid's or we have uh, Eragles for commerce. And so it could be interesting. We could have a new form of religious attitude to artificial intelligence. I really like uh, uh, the way you're using history in order to, to uh, understand and explain the present. But now moving a little bit into the, the future, uh, uh, how do you think AI uh, will change the world for good or for bad, uh, or, or for good and for bad, uh, in the short-term perspective and in the long-term perspective? Well, uh be back in the form of core form of what we are seeing. That is a form of automation. So this form of automation in the past has already changed the industry. Can you imagine all the blue collar and the life of the blue collar in the last century? Well, this kind of automation is connected to a paradox that is called uh, the, the Moravec paradox by the name of the people that first uh, draft out. Well, a, 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 an in artificial intelligence system is much more able to surrogate a high cognitive task than a lower cognitive task. Uh, let me show with an example. If we go on online and we look for a solar calculator, 
that is able to make the square root of a number. Probably we pay less than one euro. Well, uh, but if we are looking for a prosthetic hand that I can use to open up a door, it's not enough uh, 300,000 euro. A kids of four-year-olds can open up the door and run inside the street. To make a square root of a number, at least you have to be 12 or 13. What does it mean? That this kind of machine can be really competitive on that job that use high cognitive tasks, like the job that use the number, like an accountant, like a bank, that are also the most paid job. And that could be a multiplier of inequality. So I don't think that we should fear the end of humanity like in Terminator, but we should fear if it's the end of the middle class in the sense of that kind of society, a part of society that was able to be well paid and give a stability to the society in itself. And that could be really dangerous because, you know, an unstable society can produce a really unstable uh, future. Absolutely. Um and uh, th those could be major changes uh, in, in our part of the world and also the rest of the world. Uh, so uh, the way you are looking at this, um, who holds power now in the development of AI ethics and who should, should hold the power, do you think? And what is responsible AI? Well, actually, it's a huge question with a lot of different problems inside. Of course, uh, AI could be understood as a middle layer in the execution of process. So when you would like to do something, it's not yourself that do all the process. This come with automation. Now this automation has a layer that is AI. So you talk with your system and the system will act. Every time that you ask to your personal assistant to do something, like put an alarm or something like that, it happened through the mediation of that system. But uh, actually, this means that the owner of the system has the power to the execution of your process. And here is where we need a lot of attention, because if we apply to a huge system like a country, we can say that politics has not anymore the, the, the control of what happened in the country, but is the middle layer that is controlling what, how the, 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 the things happen. And that could be a shift of power, especially if the, the owners of that system is another state or is another entity that's probably it's more valuable than all the counter that is applying. And this produces a really scaring future if we don't find a way to make it compatible with our society. Uh, and, and different parts of the world looks differently on, on this technology. And do you have any hopes for uh, international organizations and international politics and, and how to, to make uh, guidelines for the use of a technology? Well, first of all, I, I think that we should recognize that the kind of technology that we face is not a special purpose technology. Uh, it's a, a new form of technology that is called general, use of, general purpose technology. Uh, the first form of this kind of technology was the electrical power. Electrical power is not used to do one thing, but change the way in which you do everything. Everything now works with electricity. Well, we can imagine that in few years, uh, AI will be infused in almost every aspect of our life. And when we have a general purpose technology, we saw in the past that there is a special way to distribute it that is not neutral. 
Uh, when we distribute electrical power, Samuel Insul, the founder, uh, the founder of General Electric Company, simply apply a, a, a way, and the way was to democratize it. That means lower the price for electrical power, and much more people will acquire it, and we have an electrical society. But in the same times, uh, Lenin, in the first five-year plan, uh, Goelro plan, was thinking to produce the Sovietization of the republics in EURSS uh, through electricity. So when we apply a general, a general purpose technology, we should be really careful about the horizon that is behind. And if you look well at what's happening now in the world, you can see that there is a Western model and there is a Chinese one. So once again, it's like uh, the Goel-European plan, you know, different philosophy and the different philosophy can struggle to be applied without any tension in every environment. Yeah, uh, absolutely uh, interesting. This uh, we're talking about a lot of uh, challenges with the technology. But what are your uh, what are your biggest aspirations for for this uh, technology in the future? Well, actually, uh, I'm really scared by the peace in the world in this moment. You know, and because AI could could fuel the next war. Now is fueling part of the conflict in Ukraine and, and in Israel, but AI could be the reason for the next war, because cheap production, data collection, data acquisition, and power of execution with AI could be the next big thing that make us make worse. And so the problem is how to keep peace. Uh, if I do have to say in a sentence, in a tweet, uh, if you want peace, be prepared with algorithms. So building algorithms is simple building a culture of dialogue between the different stakeholders in society that could like to produce a stable environment that can simply lower the tension on, on AI and allow AI to be a new glue inside society that stitch the different parts together. Uh, very interesting. Um, uh, we're uh, coming to uh, moving towards the the end here. I, I'd like to also um, touch upon a, a concept that uh, people often connect with AI, uh, or at least some some groups uh, when they're talking about post-humans and transhumanism. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, about these uh, connections? Well, it's not uh, a, a, an unusual connection, you know. My PhD in 2009 was called uh, Technological Evolution in the Age of Posthumanism. So uh, posthumanism is, is the horizon. It's an horizon in which we see the human beings as, you know, as a half-baked reality that we have to fix. And the problem is that uh, if we use AI uh, as a solution from, for what we are, once again, we are transforming AI with a, a pseudo-religious ideology. The first form of a pseudo-religion ideology was Marxism, that say that our problem will finish with the revolution. But religions know very well that the problem will finish after the time, not during the time. Transhumanism and posthumanism sometimes say that what was the revolution for Marxism is now technology for them. So technology will fix all the problems that we have. But this is simple, you know, a, 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 an illusion. Uh, if you took one of the position of this kind of guys that takes, for example, mind upload, I will fix the problem of mortality, making a mind upload in the system. But they ignore that it's not myself, it's a copy of myself. And so, yes, my copy will remain and probably will interact with people in a similar way in which I do, 
but during that I'm dying. So I, that now fix my core problem. And so transhumanism and posthumanism are really effective in collecting money of the rich people of the Silicon Valley and can produce a really strange form of technological evolution. Once again, we have to face the share and common God to take this kind of innovation in the form of evolution. Great. Uh, fi finally, now we, we have some, some quick uh, uh, standard questions that we ask uh, all our uh, guests at the AI podcast. So, so the first one is, um, how often do you use uh, AI systems? Actually, everyone that we use Google, we are using uh, an AI. So every day, multiple times a day. Great. And which AI application or service do you use the most often? Well, uh, for work, I'm used to go with the perplexity. That is a nice way to, to read PDF and to achieve uh, reliable information. For fun, I use a lot of time mid-journey or other imaging creation software. Great. And um, what has disappointed you the most and what has pleased you the most when it comes to AI development over the last year? Well, uh, the most disappointing thing is that how much is big the AI as much is bad the robotics. So we miss the physical part of AI. And this is connected to the Moravec <coughs> paradox that I told you before, but we can think a lot of doing the digital space. I still have not my servant robotic that follow me. What excites me is the large multimodal models. What uh, today Gemini or GPT can do, it's unbelievable. I'm not expecting that before 2030, and now we have it. Fantastic. And the uh, last question, can you recommend a book or an article or a movie about AI? Well, probably let's look with a movie because a narrative thinks it's much more uh, easy to digest. And I would like to suggest uh, Black Mirror series because in Black Mirror you can see the dark and the light of technology. And remembering us that the problem is not the technology, but the human use of technology in a human society. So once again, I will bet on human side. Fantastic, Paolo. Thank you very much for coming to the world stage. It was great to have you here. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. My name is Nils Nagelschia, and you've just heard an episode of the world stage from Nupi. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your preferred podcast app. And if you understand Norwegian, I urge you to check out our other podcast, Utenrikshospitalet.